Let's go ahead and stand up tonight as we open up. How's everybody doing? Okay? Good? Anybody well done yet? Just about. I keep waiting for that thing. Anyway, um, thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you have tuned in tonight. We're going to go ahead and open up in prayer. How many have a prayer request tonight? You'll just, a need that you'll just signify by lifting your hand. Uh, if you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Let's do pray for our kids. We have a group of kids that are at camp right now. Uh, they'll be coming back tomorrow. And then we have another group of kids that will be leaving tomorrow, uh, going to camp. So uh, I know the temperature is, is of concern. You know, they got it all set up out there for them, but uh, let's pray for them. Uh, let's pray that they're safe. And, and number two, let's pray they have an encounter with Jesus. Uh, my oldest granddaughter is beside herself, counting down. She said, Papa, it's less than 24 hours. And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And I'm sure she won't sleep a wink tonight excited for camp. And you know what? I, I remember those days. You know, when I grew up in Alabama, our church was really heavily involved in camp uh, in the district. And so uh, we'd go work camp. We'd get there early. We'd stay late. Of course, back then we'd stay a week. Uh, and it was just one of those things you just love going to camp. But uh, uh, let's just pray uh, for those that are still traveling. We've got quite a few that are still on the road uh, enjoying their summer vacations. We want them to come home and uh, come home safe and rested and ready to work. Amen? Amen. Father, tonight we're so grateful, again, to be able to come together and study your word. Uh, Lord, we just rejoice in your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that even in our unfaithfulness, you always remain faithful. And Father, I pray that we, as we open up tonight, every hand that went up in the building, those that are online tonight, Lord, just signify a need in our life. God, I pray that no matter what it is, that you would let faith rise up to believe that with you all things are possible. I pray for those that uh, need a healing touch tonight. God, I thank you that you've revealed yourself as our healer, Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. Uh, Lord, I pray that no matter what it is, that you just extend that healing hand and that you would touch sick bodies. Lord, thank you that by your stripes we're healed. Thank you for the, the, the blessing of, of, of healing. Lord, I pray for those that need some encouragement tonight. Lord, those that need resources uh, Lord, we pray for our children that are at camp right now. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that they would just, even at that young age, that they would experience a powerful move of your presence, uh, your spirit within them. And, Father, for the kids that leave tomorrow uh, headed to camp, Lord, we pray for safety. Uh, Lord, but we pray for a divine encounter for each of them. Lord, may they come back with testimonies of what you have done 
uh, in their lives, Lord. I pray for those that are traveling, your hand of mercy and protection upon them. Be with uh, all the ministries on campus tonight. Lord, be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to you now. Thank you for all that you do. We declare it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. And go ahead and turn with me uh, again as we're studying the book of 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. And while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. First of all, let me remind you that tomorrow is our food distribution day, uh, and I know it's going to be warm. Uh, we'll have tents set up and plenty of water, um, and, and we're gonna, we have food for 200 families, so we'd love for you to come out, help us out, uh, and we'll, again, serve the community. Uh, somebody said, y'all going to keep doing it dur- in, during the summer? And I said, well, do you eat during the summer? <laughs> and so... And so, yeah, the need is, the need is there. Um, so we'll do that tomorrow. And then also, uh, don't forget, we continue on with our, our sermon series we kicked off last week on questions that Jesus asked. This week, I'll be preaching about, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Uh, that was another question that he asked, and I think there's a lot there. Also, on, on Sunday, um, we did not, I, I think it's been on some of the announcement slides uh, but how many's heard anything about souls for souls? Okay. A couple of you have <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so most of you know that down through the years, uh, my connections through disaster relief, uh, I've been able to partner with quite a few different people. You know, we've had, I think two shipments of, uh, 3000 gallons of bleach and, and, and just all kinds of things. Well, I, <coughs> I procured about $10,000 worth of sneakers uh, these are Nike Air sneakers. Um, they're they're boys' shoes. They're uh, again when you when you get donations like that when you or when you get stuff like that you can't control what they give you, and so it all it ended up, ended up being all boys' shoes. Again, about ten thousand dollars worth of shoes and their youth. Anyway, so we're going to set up tables on Sunday, uh, and if you know your families, their children. Uh, boy, they're young boys. If you have grandsons, uh, uh, again, we have different numbers of sizes, but anyway, we're going to set that out there and we're going to give those away on Sunday. Uh, we were, you know, I thought I was going to get a lot more than what I got. So we're going to call it souls for souls. You get it souls for souls. And, uh, <laughs> uh, we, I think we have a hundred and I think we have 117 pair of shoes. And so we'll set those up Sunday. So if you know anyone that needs, uh, kind of back-to-school shoes. These are 110, uh, 100, they say 110 or $130 tennis shoes. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Woo. And then I looked at them and thought, I wouldn't pay you $10 for those shoes. But anyway, <laughs> that's just me. I'm old. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's get, let's get into our teaching tonight. Again, we're, our study is on 1 John, and we're talking about blessed assurance. And, and tonight we're going to be, the lesson title is Living and Loving. Living and loving, First John chapter 2, beginning verse number 3. John writes, he said, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Brethren, 
I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now let's get right into it. Uh, Again, John is, well, let me just tell you, John, again, remember, he's the elder. He's probably at this time in his 80s, maybe early 90s. As he's writing this letter, he's the last of the disciples, uh, last one alive, and he's writing this letter because the church at that time had, uh, had, has come into a crisis. And I tell people all the time, I say, can you believe what's going on in churches today? I'm like, well, it's really nothing new because the church has always had historically issues. I mean, how do you think we got 1 Corinthians <laughs> or the Corinthian letters and many of the others? There were issues going on. And so there was a crisis in the church. Now, the church at this time was two or three generations old, okay? So, so the church had been around a little while. Issues began to creep into the church. And because of complacency, heresy had infiltrated the church, which we understand is extremely dangerous, uh, and, 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 it, and false doctrine was being taught. So that was the issue, is that there was a lot of complacency. Again, second, third generation, and we, I've preached on generational faith a, a few times here, is that generational faith, faith always declines from one generation to the next if you don't act on it. In other words, a, 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 the, a child of a faithful parent is not going to be as gung-ho, if you will, about their relationship with Christ as mom and dad were, unless there's some, some determination on their part, right? So this church is two or three generations old. Uh, heresy had crept in. False doctrine was being taught. And so John writes this letter. Uh, one of the things he wrote it for was to confront and expose those who were teaching false doctrines. And then another thing that he did was in writing to them, he was writing to give them some guarantees. Uh, I think it was the, I forget the guy's name that used to do the commercial, the men's warehouse. And he's, he would always tag the end of his commercials by saying something like this. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. So John is writing to give him, give people some guarantees. There are some things that we can be assured of. Again, so John begins chapter 1. Uh, I'm just kind of bringing everybody up to speed. He, he begins chapter 1 by reminding them that our faith is not built on myths. Our faith is not built on fables, uh, wives' tales, but it is rooted in historical fact. In fact, John writes and he says that he was an eyewitness to the th- these things. He heard, he saw, he touched all that, uh, again, what he is telling them. Last week, we looked at three marks of a growing disciple. Remember what they were? A growing disciple lives in the light, faces their failures, and strives not to sin. Now, as we get into our teaching tonight, we find that there are two more traits that are very important for any disciple of Jesus. And those two traits are to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. 
Those are two traits that should mark our lives. Now, again, faith is not just an idea that we subscribe to, right? It's something we do. Faith is not mentally, it's not mental ascent. It's not, it's not collecting a bunch of trivial knowledge that says, I know. Faith is, is an action. It's something that we do. In fact, the Bible says faith without works is, it's dead. Faith without works. He said, you, you, you tell me you have faith. Let me show you my faith. Faith without works is dead. We show we know God when we do what God says. So John has already told us that God is light. Remember? God is light, and in him, what do you say? There is no darkness at all. So, so again, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There is none. Light dispels darkness. So John said, God is light, and those that know him walk in light. It goes back to what I said last week. If I go out to my, if I plant a, an apple tree in my backyard, and I go out there at harvest time, and I find pears, guess what? I didn't plant an apple tree because fruit don't lie. (laughs) If I say that I am in the light and yet I remain in darkness, then what does John say? He says, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. So again, John wants the believers to understand that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is actually a Christian. Does that come as a surprise? Probably not. Probably not. There, there, There are people that, you know, just because you are a card carrying, hey, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E and does not make you one. You know, like the old song, what, what is, where's the evidence? What about the evidence? Uh, you know, if you're a believer, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be something that's going to let people know. And it's not because you wear all these religious shirts. It's not because you quote a lot of scripture. Listen, the devil knows the Bible better than we do. The Bible says and they, they demons, they tremble over it. You know, so that's not the the criteria. Uh, Again, John wants them to understand that just because somebody says they're a believer, and and I think the church has to be careful. One of the things I've always had an issue with in the church is that, say some famous person gets saved, born again, a famous person, you know, whether it be an athlete, whether it be an actor, a politician, Lord knows most of them need Jesus. Uh, No, I said that out loud. That came right out of my mouth. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being silly a little bit, but, but, but you understand what I'm talking about. Just say that somebody famous gets saved. We want them speaking in our church to our Bible study next week. Well, wait a minute. What qualifies them to do that? Now, if they're going to share their story of how they came to the faith, that's different. But if they're going to be there to try to teach me, they don't have anything to teach me because they're infant. And an infant can't be teaching adults grown people about things of faith. That, that's something that's always griped me. John say, look, just because somebody says they're a believer does not make them an actual believer. I mean, there's, there are some people who boasted in John's time of superior knowledge of God, and yet John said they were godless and they were worldly. As John continues to write his letter, he now reveals, again, two aspects or a second aspect of who God is, and, and that is this. He, as much as God is light, and we are called to walk in his light, God is also love, and we have been called to walk in love. In fact, it's an interesting thing in the book of 1 John, 30 times in this short letter, John mentions love. How many know that when something is repeated, it's important? 
But if you keep repeating it over and over and over and over again, then it is really, really, really important and vital to our faith. So John's saying that, you know what? To know God is to obey God, and to obey God is to love God. So let's kind of unpack these two truths tonight, or these traits. Number one, live as Jesus lived. Look at verse 3. He says, we know, we know that we have come to know him if we obey, what? His commands. In other words, how do I know that I have a relationship with him? I keep his commands. Plain and simple. Again, fruit don't lie. It, it, it is evidence. Uh, you know, there's a big difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. I don't remember who it was. It was somebody years ago. I don't know if it was a book or they made a statement, but it's always stuck in my head. It said that the, the, the distance between salvation and damnation is 18 inches. That's about how far it is from here to here. I thought, wow. See, knowing God, uh, again, knowing God, the difference of knowing, there, there's a difference in knowing about him. In other words, accumulating information about him and actually knowing him. J.I. Packer wrote a book years ago uh, entitled Knowing God. And in that, in that book, Knowing God, here's what he said. He said, what are we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. What in humans give God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It's a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him as he takes knowledge of you, end quote. It's about knowing God. The greatest aim of our lives is to know God, not about him, not be able to answer Jeopardy questions when we watch it on television, when they do have those occasions that there's a Bible track on there. You know, see, the test of whether or not we know God has more to do with uh, has more to do with our behavior than it does our beliefs. Think about that for a minute. The test of whether or not we know God has much more to do with our behavior than with our beliefs. True Christianity is marked by a life of obedience. You know, we used to sing that song years ago, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Again, true Christianity is marked by a life of obedience. To claim to know God without acknowledging his claim on us is very shallow and hollow. I watched a little video today in, in my running around, and, uh, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a supposed to have been a dialogue between two individuals, two opposites, uh, talking about a particular topic. And the one uh, was quoting Scripture and this other person was like, yeah, but you don't understand. Do you know how many times the Bible's been translated and that verse has been changed all those times? I thought, wow. You know, the height of ignorance is to, is to speak to something that you don't know anything about. And, and, and that's what's going on. Listen, to, to claim that we know God and yet deny his claim on us is a very shallow thing. You see, a lot of people want to come in and sing, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> but not everybody that wants to crown him with their lips will make him Lord of their lives. In other words, they'll know about him. They'll have cursory knowledge of him. 
but they won't have a relationship with him. They deny his right to them. You know, so if he has a claim on my life, then I'm his. That's that relationship. You know, the emphasis on the word obey is a continuous uh, nature of action. One Bible teacher put it like this. He called it daily, detailed, and disciplined obedience. I like that. Daily, detailed, and disciplined obedience. So John's saying, you know what? You can, we can know God. We can know that we know God by our desire to grow in obedience. If I desire to honor him, to live according to his statutes, according to his commands, then I know that I know God. Uh, if we truly know God, then we should grow in God. Amen? We should grow. You know, it's a sad, listen, it would be a sad thing if you had a child that you birthed that child and 10 years later that child was still sucking on a bottle. It'd still be a sad thing, right? I mean, so think spiritually the same, the same uh, uh, imagery there. It's a sad thing when believers are born again, and yet 10 years later, they're still infantile in their faith. You know, to love God is to know God. To know God is to obey God. And I, if I know that I know God, it's through my obedience. Our knowing, our knowing must lead to growing. I'm different today. You know, you know I think um, looking back over the years, and, and you know, we, we're different and if we're not different, we got a problem. We have a problem. If we claim to be in the light, then we have to do those things that reflect the light, which is we have to do things that are right. You see, we can know that we know if we do what he says we should do. In fact, John, in John's gospel, Jesus said it very plain in John 14. He said, if you love me, what did he say? You will obey what I command. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he goes on in verse 21. He said, whoever has my commands and obey them, obeys them, he's the one who loves me. So what's the test of love? Obedience. Again, we're talking about living like Jesus. To further explain in verse 4, I love what John does. Because John, again, John's at a, a, don't you love how older people give you wisdom? They just tell it to you. You know, I, I love plain-spoken people. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out the bushes and how to go around them. I just, just lay it out, right? Anybody like that? I, I just, just tell me. Tell me what you want to tell me. You know, don't try to hint. Don't try to beat around the bush. Don't try to be politically correct or, you know, whatever. Just lay it out there. That's what John does. Again, I think John, is, his age is showing, and he's very blunt in verse 4. He said, the man who says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is what? He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to, I'm, I can't wait to meet this guy. I mean, he just, he's like, okay, here's the deal. If you say you, you know him, but you're not walking in obedience, you're not following through and keeping his commandments, you're a liar. That's tough. I mean, this, this verse, I mean, he's not pulling any punches. This verse is emphatic and should make everybody do an inventory. Am I truly in love with Jesus? Am I walking in obedience to his commands? You know, I, I, my guess is I don't think any of us here really want to be labeled a liar. It's kind of like what Paul wrote in Titus. In Titus chapter 1, he said, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. <laughs> Wow. 
How'd you like that? <laughs> Listen, our, our, our faith, our profession of faith must be lived out in our practice of faith. Again, I can say one thing and do something totally different, right? So it has to be lived out. George Barna wrote a book, you know, he's the pollster, many years ago. And, and what he did, he wrote this book, and it was really tracking the major trends of Christendom, okay? So, so he, always try, he always writes these articles, and he's trying to keep the pulse on what's going on in Western church in particular. And uh, he noted that over a span of about 10 years, that all of the trends in Christendom were declining except for two. Everything was going down except for two, and, and here's what they are. The exception was more people were claiming to have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and expected to go to heaven, so that was on the increase, and then more said they haven't been to church in the past six months except for special occasions. So here's what he wrote. He, he lamented and said, people say, I believe in God, I believe the Bible is a good book, and then I believe whatever I want. He said, we are a designer society. We want everything customized to our personal needs, our clothing, our food, our education, and now our religion, end quote. We want to make a God like we want him to be. We want to fashion an, an, an image that's to our liking. That's why I said last week when that professor asked those questions of students coming in to school, he asked 24 questions about who they thought Jesus was and then, 20, uh, then follow up about themselves. And, and he said the majority of them, they, they had a Jesus that was more like them than anybody else. You know, we create in our own image. You know, in verse 5, John now switches back to a positive position and he says this, because again, he's, he's in the negative right here. You say you're in the light, you say that you know him and you're not following him, you're a liar. But now he switches and he says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is made complete in him. See, when we obey God, what does that mean? It means to follow through on what he has said. Then God's love is unleashed in our lives. There's something, I don't know, there's something incredible. How many, how many have had those encounters? And again, I'm, I'm not given to sensationalism. I, I think the church has been wrecked a lot by people claiming sensational things. Now, I'm not denying, I've seen God do some incredible things. I was talking to a young man the other day. He was talking about miracles that he had seen. And I, I, I was telling him about uh, that crusade that we were a part of in I believe it was uh, San Luis Potosi, Mexico, and a man had been, you've heard this story before, we, the man had been pushed to, in a wheelchair every night to that crusade to be prayed for. For 30, uh, right at 30 years, he sat in that wheelchair, and by the end of, I don't know if it was San Luis or maybe an old Can Cancun, we've done both of those, but by the end of the week, that man was pushing his wheelchair home. Blind eyes, deaf ears, I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes, so I know it's, it's an incredible thing. But have you ever had one of those counter encounters where you really, really knew that God was with you? I mean, it's just an overwhelming presence that there was no denying that there was something supernatural going on. You see, I, uh, when we obey God, when we walk in that covenant relationship, and that's what it is, obedience is a covenant relationship, God unleashes his love in us. 
To say another way, God's love accomplishes its purpose in us. And that word, uh, the word comes, the word complete comes from the same word that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross when he said, it is finished. It's the same word. And what it means is paid in full. When he says that God's love is made complete in us, it's, 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 it's finished. The mission is complete. Love, love reaches its goal when it leads to obedience. And, and again, the reason that God gives us his love is not, is not to make us feel good or heal our hurts. Ultimately, it's to lead us to obedience. It's always to lead us to obedience. Love doesn't achieve its purpose in our lives until we live a life of obedience to God. Again, these are, these are messages that, that many churches today, I guess a lot of churches, didn't, would, wouldn't want to hear. Because we, we, we want a relationship with a God that winks at our indiscretions, that, that smiles at our, our, our flippancy, if you will. If that's a word, if not, I just made another word. I do that really well. <laughs> uh, that, that's the God that we want. We don't want to be accountable. We, want, we don't want to obey John says his love is made complete in us when it leads us to living a life of obedience. So, so the question is, do we want to have God's love fully complete in our lives? Well, if we do, then it requires obedience, the attitude and the action of obedience. Now, how many know saying and doing are the two different things? Saying and doing are two different things. So how does that look like? Well, John paints us a picture. Aren't you glad the Bible does that? You know, you think, okay, so how do I do this? How do I, how do I live in obedience? Well, <laughs> fear not. John comes through. Here's what he says. This is how we know. Okay? So if you want to know how, John says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In other words, we have to walk the talk and talk the walk. Verse 3 says we can know that we know God through our obedience here, we know that we're in Christ if we walk like Jesus walked. You know, again, it's easy to claim that I'm a Christian. Anybody, I mean, we have people today that believe some weird stuff that call themselves believers. The true test is, do, does my life reflect, reflect the life of Jesus? Does my life reflect the life of Jesus? And the word, I love what he says here. He said, whoever claims to live in him must walk. There it is, must. The word must means obliged or obligation, obligation. I'm, I'm obliged to walk. I'm obligated to walk as Jesus walked. You know, it's a present tense too, and that's an interesting thing because I have to keep on walking as Jesus walked. When I, when I leave here today and I go home, I need to walk like Jesus. When I get up in the morning and I go off to the whatever awaits me for tomorrow, I have to walk like Jesus walked. I must do that. Uh, it's, I walk to discharge that debt. Again, everything, every one of us owes God 100% of who we are. Now, the word walk, what does that mean? Well, the, in the Greek, it literally means to walk according to a pattern. Walking implies forward motion. Okay? So if I'm walking, I'm going somewhere. It implies forward motion. It implies a movement towards a goal. It doesn't say to sleep doesn't say to slouch. It also does, it doesn't talk about jumping and running or anything like that. Walking involves taking steady, sure steps. He said, you walk like Jesus did. You walk steady and you walk sure-footed. 
How do we walk like Jesus? Do I need to grow my beard out and put on, a, put on the, the gown and the sandals and, you know? No, what I need to do is I need to study how he responded to people and respond in kind. How did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus care for people? How did he minister to people? You know, to put it this way, when Jesus lived on this earth, what did he do? He lived his life in order to fulfill the will of the Father. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus said as much. He said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So if I'm walking like Jesus walked, if I'm walking sure-footed and steady, I'm walking to fulfill my Father's will in heaven, not my own. That's, that's walking like Jesus. Um, he goes on in John 17, and he says that his aim, again, that's the priestly prayer in John 17, his aim was to bring glory to the Father by doing the work that he had been given to do. And here's what he said. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Finished. I walked in such a manner that I finished. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy as he was preparing for his demise? He said, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, what did he say he did? He said, I ran my race. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Complete. The will of the Father. Again, we walk like Jesus walked, to walk like Jesus walked is to do the will of the Father, focused on giving him the glory. How many remember the WWJD? Anybody remember the w, all the bracelets and everything that came out? What would Jesus do? Um, you know, and, and, and what it was, the, the premise behind it was when you find yourself needing to do, a, do something, respond, stop for a moment and ask, what would Jesus do? Now, now the, the, that, that WWJD is rooted in an old book. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's rooted in an old book that was written in 1897. The book was uh, entitled In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And Charles was a pastor. It was first published again in 1897. And what this pastor does in this book is he challenges his congregation not to do anything for an entire year without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? And it was based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, that says that you should follow in his steps. Walk like Jesus walked. What would Jesus do when somebody takes advantage of you? What would he do? When somebody maligns your character, what would Jesus do? If somebody cheated you, what would Jesus do? If somebody cursed you, what would Jesus do? Again, I mean, it was a great concept for as far as that went, but the reality is we can only do what Jesus does by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not a matter of asking what would Jesus do. I, I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. You know, we can know that we know God if there's something within us that compels us to obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. So let me ask you, are you focused on living like Jesus lived? That's the task. That's what we've been called to do. Number two is this, love as Jesus loved. So that's the two traits. Live like he lived, which means walking with that steady, sure-footedness of knowing that I'm here to fulfill the will of my Father in heaven. And the second thing is to love like he loves. Once again, um, 
Look at verse, look, well, let's look at verse 7 and 8. And I love this, the way, again, this is an elder statesman. And he says this in verse 7 and 8. He said, dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, that's a little bit interesting. Because on one hand, John says, I'm not giving you a new commandment. This has already been around. But then he flips right around and says, but I'm going to write you a new commandment. Well, what is he trying to do there? Well, it's interesting. Uh, first thing I noticed is right off the bat, John writes with that, that elder love, that tenderness. He said, dear children, dear friends. And I think he's wanting to introduce an important, the, the important topic of loving just like Jesus loved. And he says that this love is not a new commandment. And again, it doesn't come as a surprise because you know what? Love is woven through the, through the pages of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. You know, a lot of times people look at the Old Testament and say, well, the, the Old Testament, that's just a bunch of hate and a bunch of violence and stuff like that. No, love, love is woven through all of the chapters and verses of the Old and the New Testament. In fact, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not new to these believers, not new to these Christians, because Jesus spoke about love all the time. That's why he said, This old command is the message you have heard. I'm not up here telling you anything that you've not already heard. That's what he's saying. The question we have to ask is, how are we doing? On, how's our love quotient? Listen, we live in a time today, and, and, and you'll laugh about this. I do too, but it's the truth. There are people pushing our buttons like crazy, right? How many, how many know what I'm talking about? I mean, there are people that will get under your skin in a nanosecond. That's pretty quick. And yet, we've been called to walk in love. How many find that more difficult today? <laughs> it's okay to be honest, because I do. I do. I, I'm like, Lord, I, I want to punch them. Oh, I said that out loud, too. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I'm just saying that we, we live in a world that has gone nuts and crazy, and it seems like Christians are now the butt of jokes. We're mocked and we're ridiculed, and we're called all kinds of names, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're intolerant, we're bigoted, we're, we're whatever. And yet those are the people we've been called to love. That's hard. So we love like Jesus loved. Well, how did he love? I mean, you know, then John goes on and he says, a new commandment. And, and, and here's what he means by that. So he's not changing anything. He, what he's doing is he's giving them a fresh reminder of what happens in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, remember what he said? You have, you have heard that it was said of old, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, he's just freshening. That's what John says, a new commandment. I'm, I'm reminding you, I'm giving you freshness to that command to love. Jesus himself called, called his uh, command to love in John 13. He said, a new command I give to you, love one another. What a new command. It was fresh. As I have loved you, he said, so you must love one another. How are we doing, how are we doing on that? 
again, today, that, that's really tough. Because I can promise you, you know, it's one of those things that God doesn't just, when we get saved, he doesn't shoot us out into the pinball of life and we bounce from pillar to post without any aim or direction. He doesn't do that. He sends us out into the world equipped with the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Because there are things that we've been asked to do as believers, not because we're better than anybody else, but he's saved us and he's kept us here to be representatives, to be, to be a reflection of him to a lost and dying world. And, and there are people that look at us and they need to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus in us. And, and, and without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to do it because it grinds against our nature. Jesus is the model of how we should love others. How did Jesus love? He loved unconditionally, he loved sacrificially, and he loved abundantly. I mean, think about it. When they grabbed him, well, I mean, think about it in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, one of his own circle came up and betrayed him with a kiss. And they take him and they put him before this kangaroo court. They take him outside to be flogged and 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 they strip him naked and they hit him with the they whip him 39 times. And what is Jesus doing? He's loving them. He's loving them. They take him to the cross, nail nails in his hands and feet, hang him up. Mock and ridicule him. You saved others, now save yourself. You're the king of the Jews and all this stuff. Mocking and ridiculing him. And what does he do? Father, forgive them. He's loving them. That's hard. In fact, not only is it hard, I'm going to say it's impossible without his help. You know, it's easy to claim to be a Christian, but listen, if I'm hating on someone then I'm really living in darkness. Verse 9 says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Again, if, if, if I claim to be a Christian and I have an issue with a brother or sister in Christ, I, I'm, I'm in darkness. Light and darkness are mutually exclusive. It's tough because we live in a culture of hatred. You don't believe me? Just call somebody the wrong pronoun. I mean, I, I, again, I, I know I'm, I, but I'm being serious. We live in a culture today of hatred and violence, especially if you don't agree with their choices. It's, it's a sad day. It's a sad day when we have to, by our government, affirm delusion. You know, the Bible says that we, you know, one of the issues of Romans 1 is those who celebrate the debased mind. And as a culture and as a government representative, they celebrate a debased mind that has permeated our, our country. We live in a culture of hatred. Again, whether that's in the political arena the family structure, the workplace, even in the church, there's a whole lot of hating going on. It's everywhere. It's kind of like the guy that called his neighbor at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, your dog's barking, keeping me awake. Shut him up. 
The man didn't say anything, but the next night called that neighbor back at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, just to let you know, I don't have a dog. <laughs> Think about that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, easy. it's easy to overlook biases that we allow to take root in us. But the truth is I'm either, I'm either actively loving someone or I'm not. That's it. There's, there's, no, there's no middle ground. I either align myself with God by loving others, other believers, or, or I don't love them by default. And to act indifferently towards someone is to hate them because love, love is not indifferent. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this in verse 25, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, uh, your name is evil. Blessed are you. Happy are you. It's kind of interesting because he uses the word exclude. What is exclusion? The word exclusion means to ostracize. Blessed are you. Happy are you when people ostracize you. It means to to, to put away from. This is when we uh, say something like, uh, you know, like, I'm not going to cross the line to see that person. I had a friend years ago, a missionary friend of mine that went to a church. It was a shotgun church. And there was a lot of issues in that church. It was a shotgun church. So what that meant was it was a long, straight church. You had one section here, one section here. He said at the end of the service, when the, when the benediction was done, he said this side got up and went out that door. This side got up and went out that door so they wouldn't have to meet in the middle. That, the exclusion. He said Insults. Happy are you when they exclude you, insult you. What does that mean? It means abusive words. Hatred at some point turns us from an attitude of exclusion into that mean-spirited insult giver, which leads to the last one, he said, and then there's rejection. Jesus said, you're going to be happy. Again, you're blessed, You're not happy because people exclude you and insult you and reject you, but he said, you're blessed because of that. Rejection, uh, again, the Greek is pretty interesting here. It means to cast out, uh, to cast out of. It's the idea of taking someone's name, speaking falsely about them, spreading slander. That's what it talks about. Hate causes us to tear somebody else down. John said, you can't do that and call yourself a believer. You can't say that you're in the light and run your mouth about somebody else. Because the light is not in you if you are. I love the Expositor Bible. It said it like this, and I quote, said, love unexpressed is not love at all. Isn't that good? Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, this is the Expositor Bible, when it is absent, hate is present. When love is absent, hate is present. Uh, You know, it's kind of like, uh, heat, what, heat is the, <coughs> see if I can get my science going in my brain. Heat is the absence, <coughs> cold is the, there you go, cold is the absence of heat. That's it, that, that's what cold is, it's the absence of heat. Hate is the absence of love. When love is not present, then there's, then there's hatred. Remember, biblical love is what? It's self-sacrificing. It's caring commitment that seeks the good of the other. The Bible says that greater love hath no man than this, that he would what? Lay down his life for a friend. 
The Bible says that God commended his love towards us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sacrificial, unconditional love. That's how we love like Jesus. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, (coughs) pardon me, he said, do not waste time, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, act as if you did. As soon as we do this, he goes on, as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. And in verse 10, i got to hurry up and bring this to an end. He, in verse 10, John gives a contrast. And he says, this is what happens when a believer loves instead of hates. Here's what he said. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Isn't that good? How many of you ever got up in the middle of the night and tried to walk through the house and somebody moved the furniture while you were asleep and you didn't know about it? You kicked that coffee table. I'm, I'm convinced the only reason that coffee tables exist is to let you know you have a little toe. <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, again, he says, if you live in the light, you know, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. In other words, your path is illuminated. If I'm living in darkness, my path is not light. I can't see, right? That's kind of, that's the illusion there. That's kind of the illustration. If you're in darkness because you don't love your brother, even though you say you do, your path is not clear. And you will stumble. What happens when you kind of walk through the dark? You stumble. I, I'll never forget, and i got to tell this story and got to move on. I was, I was deployed uh, back years ago when I was in Louisiana, and I had a, I had a major. Uh, he, he was from Alabama, so we got along really well. And I'm driving my military vehicle one day. We're, we're at a live fire range exercise, and I'm driving, and he's standing. Uh, we're doing night driving, okay, if you know anything about uh, blackout driving. So you don't have any lights on. you got a little pin light in the front, a little pin light in the back. And I'm driving this. At this time, we had blazers. We'd gone from the Jeep to the Blazer and then to the Hummer. So I'm driving. He's there. We're talking. And he's walking beside my vehicle. And I look away for a moment, and he disappears. Gone. And I thought, what in the world? So I stopped my vehicle, and I get out, and it was dark. And he had stepped off into a foxhole and didn't know about it and shot straight down into that foxhole. (laughs) I kind of laughed under my breath because he was an officer and I wasn't. So, uh, <laughs> but, but again, that's the point. If I'm in darkness, there are many things to make me stumble. When I went through survival school, we had to be out in the wilderness for 10 days and, and you had to move. And you moved at night mostly because you don't want to be caught. And there are lots of things that go bump in the night and, that, and things that make you stumble. And John said, look, if you love your brother, you live in the light. And there's nothing in you to cause you to stumble. That word stumble refers to a trigger of a trap. Literally reads a stumbling block is not in him. If I love my brother, I'm in the light, and there's nothing to stumble uh, within me. Proverbs 3.23 says that when you do the right thing, he said, then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. If I do the right thing, 
If I live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, I'll go on my way in safety and there will not be any chance of stumbling. Maybe we stumble because we're not living and loving like Jesus did. This, i gotta, I got to close. Verse 11, he comes back, and he just, again, gives a warning. He said, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. In other words, if I allow those things to take root, bitterness, anger, resentment, hatred, I'm in darkness, and I'm oblivious to it. This, this building here gets dark at night. Because there no obviously there's, you don't, there's no windows here. And, and I'll tell you what, what's even darker. There used to be an apartment up in the very back of that balcony there on the back side. And my family, when we lived in Duncanville, when we pastored here for about three, three years before I moved down here. So I'd drive down every weekend um, for about three years. And we would come down some Saturdays, most Saturdays, and we'd spend a night up there. And let me tell you, when you turn the lights out up there, you can't see your hand in front of your face. I don't care how close you, you cannot see it. It's, it's really kind of unnerving. You know, I'm not scared of the dark, but I tell you what, this metal in this building starts creaking. You think the Holy Spirit showed up, the Holy Ghost showed up and... <laughs> In fact, I had to, I left one night in the middle of the night because I kept hearing that creaking noise, and I was by myself, and I thought, yep, I could drive back home for an hour, get some rest, come back down here, because if I stay here, I'm not going to get any sleep. John, John said, look, if you're in darkness, you're, you're oblivious, you're blind. You're blind. Listen, I, I gotta, I, I'm going to close. You say, man, Pastor, it's, it's impossible to live like that. I mean, you're telling me to, to walk steady and sure-footed the way Jesus walked, and that means to walk in obedience to his commands, and, and man, I, and, and now to love? I don't know. That's, that's really that's impossible to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. Well, you're right. You're right. It is. Until we have been personally transformed by God's grace. We are incapable of living right and loving right. But when God's grace has been shed abroad in our hearts, I'm more than enough to do what he called me to do, to live as he called me to live. So let me ask you as I close, how's your walk tonight? How's your walk? Are you, are you trying to balance too many things? Are you stumbling along in the way because you got, you got ill feelings towards somebody? You know, let that stuff go. John says, look, let it go, walk like Jesus walked, live like he lived, love like he loved, and God's, and he said, number one, you're not going to stumble, and God's love will be made perfect in you. And when you find yourself in that spot where you f- sense the presence of, of Jesus fulfilling his, his will in your life, there's no better place like it. No better place to be than that place. Would you stand with me tonight? We're moving through pretty quick on the, on the book of 1 John, but what a beautiful book. It's all about practical living, practical living. And, and I think that's, a, and it's very pragmatic in its approach. It just tells us straight up. I love, again, in verse 4, how, how John just simply said, look, <laughs> you, if you claim to walk in the light and yet you hate your brother, truth's not in you. You're not telling the truth. You're a liar. You know, just very, very matter of fact. And then he says, but this is how you do it. 
God help us in this 21st century, 2023, in a world that has gone literally nuts. And I promise you, if you think it can't get worse, it's going to. Live like he lived and love like he loved. And you can't do it. I can't do it in and of myself. But through him, I can do all things. Why don't you bow with me as we close in prayer? Two things. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor? I want, to do, I want to learn how to do that. I want to live like Jesus lived. Walk. That means walking in obedience the way he did. And then I want to love like he loved. I do find it hard. Because there are things that I don't understand. There are people that get on my last nerve. There, there are things, literal situations that, that I'm dealing with that I, it's hard. And I just need him to help me. Listen, in you, it's impossible. But you can make that a matter of prayer and watch God work in you through the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is this. Maybe you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor? It's been a rough week, and I just I want God to intervene for the rest of the week. I want the rest of the week to be the best of the week. If that's you in any one of those areas, just slip your hand right, right back down. I'm going to pray for you tonight. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray for you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much. And again, thank you for your word. Lord, I know there's a lot of stuff with John. We could spend a lot of time talking. We could spend, just in a few verses, we could spend an entire study. Father, I pray that you help us to absorb. Uh, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, illuminate those things that we, those nuggets of truth that we need to anchor in and that we need to plant in our spirit. Lord, again, you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. And, Lord, if we're going to claim to be in the light, then let us live in the light. Let us walk as you walk, as you walked. And let us love as you loved. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that we can't do that. It's not one of those things of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's relying on the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're commanded throughout the Word to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Lord, this is a spirit life. Help us. Lord, help us as believers to, to shine that light in this darkened world that we live in. And I pray, Father, for those that are here tonight, raise your hand that that's one area. They're just saying, Lord, help me to live like that. Help me to walk as you did and help me to love like you loved, uh, Lord, in this world that makes us so angry at times. But then, Father, I pray for those tonight that Lord, have had a particularly rough week. Lord, I just pray that you would just give them rest tonight. Give them a supernatural rest, a sound sleep. May they wake up in the morning rejuvenated in you. Lord, put a spring in their step and a song in their heart. And Father, give us a great remainder of the week. And should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive from you. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. And even now ordain what you're going to do. I love and I bless each one now. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.